When you grew up with abuse and neglect when you were a kid, it can be really, really hard to form your ideal of what is a good relationship? What kind of person should you even be looking for? And in the absence of that, we can sometimes end up attaching our hopes and dreams onto people who are really not a fit at all and not appropriate. And it can be hard to tell. And that's why we share with each other. And that's why people write letters here. I wanted to read a letter today from a woman I'll call Kira. And she says, thank you so much for your videos, Anna. I'm 42 years old and I believe I have CPTSD based on my childhood experience of emotional and physical abuse, being born into an immigrant family and being a woman of color, mostly in white spaces. Consequently, I've had symptoms in adulthood such as pursuing unavailable men, playing small professionally, avoiding attachment, fear of intimacy, fear of authenticity, etc. It's mostly manifested as avoidant attachment, self-reliance, and people-pleasing. All right, just getting my pencil so I can circle things that I want to be sure to talk about when I come back through this letter the second time. But let's read through it the first time. All right, Kira says, Three years ago I started a meditation practice, partly out of curiosity and partly out of desperation. Suddenly, all my suppressed pain came pouring out of me. I felt grief, rage, sadness, and also new hope. And since then, I've been able to see a lot of my past behaviors and defenses more clearly. I've sought support on many levels and in many ways, and it's been incredibly helpful. I believe that I'm making progress in leaps and bounds, and it feels slow, too. I've never been in a significant relationship as of yet. In my teens and college, I had sexual encounters and situations, but never dated anyone. In my 20s and 30s, I had a bunch of one-night stands and three situationships. I like that word. But again, nothing that lasted more than two to six months and never anyone I called a boyfriend or partner. In my early 30s, after a particularly devastating and humiliating breakup, I decided I would not get romantically involved again until my insides felt right. Since then, I've worked really hard to abstain from romantic and sexual possibilities because I saw that the person was not a good fit. Most recently, though, a few years ago, I got romantically involved with someone who was not a good fit realistically. He was a decade younger than me. We were on different life paths. He was moving out of town. But he was more emotionally available than anyone else I had been with. I felt like I had to see what would happen, almost like a learning exercise. And it was both a really deepening and really painful experience, especially when he left. Today, I'm again faced with romantic and sexual interest in a couple of people who seem more emotionally stable and capable of the love and partnership I want. Is it just a vibe? Is this magical thinking? I don't have friendships with them, and I don't even know if they're single. One is my therapist and lives two hours away. The other also lives two hours away in a different town. I've seen them each in person only a handful of times, and I felt a romantic interest. But it is so rare to encounter men that I'm attracted to that might be in the realm of good partnerdom. And because I've been celibate for almost four years, I want to make space for my desire and see what happens. Again, like a learning exercise. Though my brain can see ways in which these are likely dead ends, I have a deep urge or compulsion to pursue them both. 
I want to be direct about my attraction and curiosity about dating. I'm not sure what to do. To be clear with my therapist, if the attraction were reciprocated, I'd expect to end the therapeutic relationship. My brain sees this is likely more of the same old, same old, and wants me to shut up, sit tight, and get my shit together. But the desire and curiosity inside of me wants to express myself and see what happens. How do I know when to direct time and energy at someone and when to abstain? I'm also concerned I might be a sex and love anorectic, which makes me want to be more open. Yikes, says Kira. Typing that out, I see how unreasonable that is. So she asks, how do I balance patience, self-protection, having higher standards, self-control, along with unhealthy restriction, with living my life with the permission to explore, self-express, have a sex life, make mistakes, even if the prospects do not appear ideal? Also, what do I do with my eroticized feelings of longing and possible fantasy making when they arise? Thank you, Kira. All right. Thank you so much for writing in. I have such a, such a tender spot in my heart for you and what you're going through. What I see, and this is usually pretty evident in the letters, but there's nothing like hearing a little summary of what happened to you when you were a kid and hearing what you're struggling with in relationships now to make it clear what a strong role you, these, these traumatic experiences play in shaping what's hard for us. And I feel for you, and yet here we are. Whatever happened to us, we can find a way to heal and to change and to craft our lives into something that gives us happiness. I hear you are in a tough place. This, this thing where you crave that relationship and you haven't had a serious relationship, you describe yourself as having an avoidant attachment and self-reliant personality and that you people please. And that is a tough combination. You had a childhood experience of emotional and physical abuse. That is so much to overcome and I'm so sorry that happened to you. And what you're talking about here are very common symptoms that follow for somebody like that. And you were born into an immigrant family and you're a woman of color. And I can sure see how those two things with the abuse made it so hard to, to feel like you belong, to feel accepted, to feel like people get you or like sometimes like you even get what's going on with them. And that part I relate to. And I know how hard that is. So then you say three years ago you started a meditation practice and you were curious, you were desperate. Good reasons. Good reasons to develop a practice and to get into healing. That's why I started to. And suddenly all this suppressed pain came pouring out and you felt grief, rage, and sadness and new hope. And I think that is how it works sometimes. So good, kind of, good. Since then, I've been able to see a lot of my past behaviors and defenses more clearly. That's incredible. That's very powerful. That's very noble and holy that you can do that. You've sought support on many levels and, and it's been helpful. And you say, I believe I'm making progress in leaps and bounds and it feels slow. Okay, so good. First, I just wanna pat you on the back and hug you and say, Good job. Good job doing things to support yourself that have allowed you to progress and to face what's in there, including the stuff that you don't feel great about yourself. Like that's PhD level self-care. That's very good. All right. So never had a significant relationship yet. Um, oh, that's so hard. I hear you. In your teens and college, you had encounters and situations, but never really dated. In your 20s and 30s, you had some one-night stands and situationships, 
but nothing that lasted more than two to six months and never anyone you could call a partner. That's really significant. That's a big deal. So obviously big stuff going on there somehow in the interaction of your energy and where your, your outlook, your, the way you come toward people and who you're picking. I mean, th that would be true for anybody, but I can just sort of see that weird sort of discordant vibration going there that kept undermining you. In your early 30s, after a particularly devastating and humiliating breakup, you decided you wouldn't get romantically involved again until things felt right. Okay. But here it is 10 years later. So here you are. Okay, good. Since then, you've worked really hard to abstain from romantic sexual possibilities because you saw that, I guess in most cases, the person wasn't a good fit. And then recently you did get involved with somebody who also wasn't a good fit realistically because they were so much younger, because they were on a different life path and they were moving out of town. Can I just say for somebody who's avoidant, that's like a dream boat. <laughs> okay. There's like this difference that makes it so it can't really work out different life paths, younger moving out of town, like very soon, imminently it can't work out. So I think for an avoidant person in a weird way, that is a huge opportunity to like test out, to take your heart for a test drive. Cause, cause you can, because the thing that is hard for you to deal with is just isn't happening. So you say, I felt like I had to see what would happen almost like a learning exercise. It was both a really deepening and painful experience, especially when he left. Okay. I will validate for you that you can learn from that, but I'm going to suggest to you that you back off of this idea of relationships as experiments, just because you have been abused and neglected. You have been through so much, you have attachment issues. And I'm going to suggest that we direct you more towards a, a path of really gentle handling. So relationships, are treated as relationships with another person with potential to become the partner that what I'm hearing is that you'd really like to have somebody who gets you, who loves you, who cares about you, who you can have great sex with, right? And not have to have another humiliating and painful experience or a shallow experience. So I'm just going to, I'm going to say it. And you're not the first person with CPTSD. In fact, like almost everybody with CPTSD, I hear you kind of selling yourself short here. Um, but one thing you said in the first paragraph is that you go for unavailable men. You play small professionally, which I think is a very similar thing. Avoidant attachment, self-reliant, people-pleasing. So I, you didn't say this, but I'm just like imagining this person who stays in the smallest room in the house, who takes up as little space as possible, who tries to have no footprint, walks on eggshells, maybe hides needs, hides what you really need and what you really have to say. That's kind of like the, the vibe I get here from, from your letter so far. That woman is very good at uh, being frugal, being no trouble at all for other people, but not so good at getting loved. So just like everything I tell you now is going to be about shifting the energy and letting yourself come forward front and center so that you can take up space and express yourself and accept about yourself that yes, you have some rough edges associated with what you went through and you're working on them and you totally, totally deserve to be loved. Okay. It's not easy when you have CPTSD to just like match up with somebody and it goes really well. And I heard you say a couple of times in this letter, 
I thought I would just kind of like throw caution to the wind and then see what happens. And kind of when you do that, when you, when you take all the attachment wounds, right? And then you just sort of like leap in and go, well, let's see what happens. Well, pretty much the same thing happens again and again. And I would just point out as kindly as possible, whatever has happened for you, that's what's likely to happen again until you kind of change your energy about it and change your approach and change that core belief you have about yourself that you need to play small romantically because playing small is exactly what I, what I hear here. So yeah, the guy who was younger, different path, moving out of town, small, that's just like, mm -mm, mm -mm. that's not like the, the great, relaxing, abundant, safe, nurturing, awesome, comforting, moves your life to a new level relationship, right? And every day that you spend emotionally wrapped up with somebody who's not that, you're not available to somebody who is. And so I don't know what town you live in that everybody's two hours away. So let's read this part. Okay. So you got interested in a couple of people recently and they seem more emotionally stable and capable of love and partnership. And you're wondering, is it just a vibe? Is it magical thinking? Could be, it could be, I don't know because you don't even know them very well, right? So if you've been avoidant, if you've been playing small, if you're a people pleaser, if you try to be self-reliant and everything, I would just say respectfully, your judgment might have some little like holes poked in it where you can fit yourself to people who don't really have these things you seek. But you know what's beautiful here? You've named what you think. Emotionally stable and capable of love and partnership. Okay, good. You named it. Name it. Claim it. That is what you want. That is what you deserve. And now your job is growing into the person who chooses those people and dates those people. Now here's the challenge. We can notice people who are, you know, stable and cool, but then there's this big getting to know you process to find out, are they actually available? Do they feel that way about you? And that whole process weeds out many, many people. So, you know, it, meeting somebody great involves putting yourself out there. And putting yourself out there is not always easy for avoidant people and, or for people with CPTSD in general. But I'm just going to say, good job. Good job feeling the feelings. Good job dreaming about it, desiring it, you know, asking the question, writing here. This is all like very good progress. Okay. So you don't even know if they're single. Okay. So that's a huge question mark, right? But good. You just notice the vibe in them and then you notice it's attractive. All right. One of them is your therapist and lives two hours away. So I don't want to burst your bubble, but that is not a person you even could date even if you both wanted to. So they, they can't do that. That's like illegal and, and unethical. They can't do that. And it's, it's, it's totally normal and common for people to develop feelings for their therapists. And occasionally it happens in the other direction too. And in very tiny, rare cases, it goes out of hand and people start having relationships, but that's considered a disaster. We had a, a letter from somebody who that happened to. In, in her life and, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's a terrible breach of boundaries. So I'm just, I'm just telling you, yeah, that one is wishful thinking. I don't think you're thinking magically because I can tell you didn't know that. You knew that you would have to end the therapeutic, therapeutic relationship. But um, you know, in most locations, therapists are not even allowed to have relationships. I think sometimes there's like a two year cooling off period or something. And even then it's kind of frowned on because when we go to therapy, we are so very vulnerable and there's so much opportunity for things to go not very well in those relationships. So I'm just going to tell you flat out, just cross that one off your list. 
honor that you felt that for somebody. If you can't stop feeling that way, it might not be the best therapist for you. Because if that kind of um, attraction is there, it's going to really complicate your ability to be open and real and go where that therapy is trying to go. Okay. And two hours away. You know, two hours away, that's a really hard thing. I think it's so interesting that they're both two hours away. Because that's your, that's your just little buffer zone, okay? It's not, it's not like impossible that you can date somebody two hours away, but interesting that you chose to. I don't know, maybe you live in a very tiny town where there are almost no single men who are even possible for you. But <laughs> So this other guy two hours away, you've only seen him a handful of times. So cool, you feel attraction for him, right? Now, I guess the next order of business is to get a little information. If he is not single, it's like a total no-go zone. If he's in a relationship or dating somebody, how can you find that out artfully? I will leave that to you. Um, but you would need to know that. Uh, it would be really rough for all concerned if you were to, um, you know, flirt with him, try to get something going with him without knowing that. And it's, you know, this happens sometimes. People flirt, they make kind comments, they sort of test the waters. That's one way to find out, but very, very lightly. And the minute you find out that he's not single, you know, just like cut it off. So... I will say that the best way to meet somebody who's got who's good partner material is to get to know them. And so when you have attraction before you know somebody, I'm just going to call that physical attraction. It's a physical attraction and you might have very good intuition about that. I mean, people who have it together have certain things you can see about them sometimes, kind of, right? <laughs> so cool. You you know, I wouldn't totally invalidate it, but there is no substitute even for people who don't have CPTSD for getting to know somebody slowly and that means talking to them maybe having a coffee and if you have taken my dating course and i hope you will it's, it's you know it's all about this kind of thing i really recommend that you put yourself on a super slow cycle of getting to know you with people and i'll get to that when we talk about your, your feeling of being a little bit impatient about you know wanting a sex life again okay so then you said, because I've been celibate for almost four years, I want to make space for my desire and see what happens. I had talked about this language before. You can make space for your desire, but I think what you're saying is, I just can't, I, I don't know, I could be wrong, all right? But what I'm hearing is this whole thing where I get to know people and I find out the facts about them and I see if they're really good partner material, that's all really hard. It's not something I'm very good at. So what I really want to do is just see, can I just have sex with them and see what happens? But again, that is the part that's magical thinking that just having sex with somebody would be the way to get to know them. For a person with CPTSD, that's a way to go into a fog. It's, it's a way to get very dysregulated and to have all your old stuff come up and become difficult to date and um, to have a lot of difficulty discerning and seeing red flags. So that's why I say like, no judgment, like that's how practically everybody else gets to date out there. But I suggest you consider a different approach that is very front-loaded with getting to know somebody, beginning with really clear criteria of what would be a good person for you. And I have a feeling that you're just like everybody else who's been through attachment wounds, that that's a little bit fuzzy for you. So to really think about what you want and not play small when you name that stuff. Don't say, well, I want somebody who at least, you know, wears shoes or... or or at least is not in jail, you know, pick something like aim high, aim high for what you really want, what you really want. 
all right? And that needs to include, based on what you've defined here, that they're good partner material, and then name like 20 ways that you know that they're good partner material. Name a bunch of ways, like name it. Don't just say that vaguely and try to rely on an intuition about it or a shirt that they wear or something. Like name those things and get to know them diligently. You don't have to make a big show about it. It's called dating. It's called dating. And I get that, that that's not really been something you have experience with. And join the crowd, like culturally, that's something that not everybody has done before. But you can start now, it's not too late. And there really are men who would like to do that, who wanna go slow, who wanna get to know you, who wanna enjoy a meal or a, you know, a walk or a cup of coffee and get to know you a little bit. And for all of us, when we get together with somebody for a brief get together, it's really good practice. And especially it's really good practice if you have people to talk to, friends to say, who say, how'd your date go? And you go, it was pretty good. He got there five minutes late. I was worried that that meant he didn't like me, but then he came and he seemed pretty enthusiastic. And you know, he bought the coffee and I was nervous. I thought maybe I should buy it and I didn't know what to do, but he bought it and that worked out okay. And then we talked a lot and I feel like I talked too much about this. And you get your friends input and help you interpret reality. Cause that's what friends do for each other. They help us as people who have been traumatized and have trouble with perception sometimes. We sometimes read in the worst to situations. Sometimes we, you know, we, we put, put on rose-colored glasses and we think things are better than they are. So for you, I'm gonna suggest that on your list, they're available. They're not entangled with anybody else. They're available. They would like to have a relationship. If marriage is what you want, then they need to want marriage too. That's, that's what that is. If you have preferences about whether they have kids or not, um, you know, that can go on there. You can even write down things about like physical characteristics that you like and things about the type of work they do and the way they like to spend their free time. Do they like to camp or do they like to go to bars or, you know, what do you like to do and what kind of partner would be perfect for you? <laughs> and you write it down and you write it down bravely because believe me, when you write down everything you want, there are some things you're not going to get, so don't even worry. Don't worry that you're going to look foolish. You're not going to look foolish to anyone because you're doing this for you. You're getting clear about what you really want. And when you have that clarity and you're like vibrating with that clarity, you go on a date and somebody's really falling short in some big thing. It's like, well, they're great in like 10 ways. And, you know, they're still living with their ex-wife, but they say they're going to get a divorce. Ah, you know, your heart will begin to go, mm-mm, mm-mm. And that's what clarity is. Okay. So then you say, you realize these are probably dead ends, but you have this deep urge to pursue them both. Um, I don't want to demean that, but that might just be like physical desire. And, and you know, yeah, that's real. And I'm going to go against the culture here and say, you do not have to follow up on that if you don't want to. I, I just think in this case, after everything you've been through, anything that's going to like trigger more trauma coming up, it's going to just kind of get in your way. The fastest route to true love and great sex would be to forego all these half-assed versions of it that you don't want, right? Let it go and be busy dating. Go online if you need to, you know, go join things, go do the things that people do when they want to date. It works, all right? It works. In the meantime, we've been talking about the guys and how to fit with them, but of course the most central thing about how to bring this about in your life is to work on the stuff in you that's making you play small and avoid. And when you said you think you might be a sex and love anorectic, I think that could be true. 
And the great thing about that is there's a 12-step program for it. And if anybody watching doesn't know what that is, it's kind of what, what it sounds like. Somebody who's a food anorectic, you know, they avoid eating. Somebody who's a sex and love anorectic avoids those things. That doesn't mean that you don't want it, but there's something about it that kind of shuts down your ability to move forward or your, your knowledge and clarity about how to move forward to have that in your life. And when it, you go long enough without that relationship, I think you get rusty and um, it can be very easy for denial to come in, um, looking outward at things, not seeing one's own part. And so that's what I think is the brilliant thing about 12-step fellowships is that it's an opportunity to just, in the context of people who like you and care about you and support you, to gradually in your own time see what am I doing that's part of this and get some help. If you think about getting a sponsor, look for the woman who has got the best recovery in the room and ask her. Try to get the strongest sponsor you can. Don't play small with sponsors by getting somebody who you think, you know, like I used to sponsor, right? And, and I used to sponsor some people who played small and they would be like, well, I was thinking of asking you to sponsor me, but I know you're really busy and, and, or they, and then they wouldn't call me. And I'd say, look, I'm not busy. I raised my hand. I said I would sponsor. I said yes. You can trust me if I say yes, I mean yes, which is a sign of recovery. And that's not to say there aren't sponsors who grow resentful and fade out on you. It happens sometimes. When that happens, you move on. You go get the best sponsor you can. And, um, and, and you get some help working through facing reality, facing the real truth about your condition. And I put it that way because when I was, when I was in the worst place in my life, that was the basic prayer I had. Please show me the reality of my condition. And some things I learned about that were about myself and the way I have relationships. I made a lot of mistakes and it was hard for me to face. It was hard for me to take responsibility. So I'm so glad I got help to do that in a measured way, in an honest and humble way. And humility means like to be honest about what I did wrong, but not to just get all grandiose and be like, oh, I'm so horrible. Not that either, but just like realistically, okay, I see what the problem with me, I, I think I understand what happened. And you know, when you get to that level of healing and you're doing that, you are, you are getting close to the top of the mountain. It's very powerful to be there. And I would just say most people never get there. I've been, I've sat in thousands of 12-step meetings and a lot of people come and listen and some people sort of get going in the steps, but it's the ones who just like really like all out, try to understand what have I been doing to hurt the people around me and to hurt my chances of living the life I want to live. And answers will come. And sometimes you'll cry. And sometimes people will be unkind, but mostly people are going to be loving to you and they're going to be really supportive of what you're trying to do. And they're going to help you. What you thought sex might do is make a space. Make a space for your desire for your relationship and help you do some healing in that space so that when the time comes that you do get connected to somebody, you have so much more in the way of inner resources. Rather than being identified with that girl who was left out and ostracized and treated as different and abused and neglected, rather than that, you have you. You have you, Kira. You have the, the good in you and all you have to give. And I'll tell you what men are looking for. They're, they're, you know, good men who want a relationship. They're looking for someone who has goodness to bring to the mix, who when you two hang out together, it feels good. And both of you sort of come up to a higher level. So your job now is to become somebody who's capable of that. And when you're doing that, you will be surprised. There's so many elements of this that you don't have to, you don't have to make it happen. It's going to make you radiant. It's going to make you 
send off positive signals that healthy men are going to notice. And it's, so it starts in here and it starts with you being clear about what you want and then setting boundaries so that you're not getting all entangled and drained with what you don't want. So that's my answer is that sometimes having higher standards and, 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 and more control over how everything turns out for you, it does involve being reserved reserving the best in you, but getting very, very busy in recovery. So I'm really proud of you that you got started. Sometimes it takes a little time. I do think the 12 step thing is good. And the, that when you talk about eroticized feelings of longing, that's something I said in a video here that I never heard anybody else say. And I said it. And so many people who watch my videos were like, yes, eroticized feelings of longing. That's part of limerence. So a little bit of longing can be healthy for a relationship, but if all your romantic and sexual energy is going into the longing, you just got taken off the planet sexually. You know, nothing's going to cut it for you from that place. So just the water is fine, Kira. Come on in. Come on in. Find some recovery for this. And you get to, if you choose, if you, if you work with a sponsor, your sponsor will have different criteria. Some people say wait a year. Some people are like, no, just be working the steps. You know, you'll, you'll find out, you'll find your path. You can see why some people say wait a year before you go on any dates. I'll tell you a secret right now. Waiting a year doesn't change anything if you're not like working rigorously to change the insides, right? You can't just like avoid dating, you know, indulge in the isolation. I've seen people, they're like, hey, hey, I'm out of this. And then one date and they're just, right? I was never somebody to delay. <laughs> when I wanted to date, I dated and I got my results, which were always terrible, especially when I didn't want to see my part in things. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.